Hey, what's up? It's Avery here. Well, I guess who else would it be? It is my own show. <laughs> you see, my show is on platforms like iTunes and Spotify, and you may wonder, how do I get my show on these platforms? Well, I do it through an app called Anchor. It's free to download, and you can use it on your phone or on your laptop. And it also comes with creation tools that let you edit your show. You can also make that sweet moolah with your podcast with no minimum listenership. So, want to get started? Download the Anchor app on the Google Play Store or Apple's App Store. Or go to anchor.fm. It's that easy. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to Avery Sports Show. Hope you're all staying safe at home, wherever you are in the world. And I want to have on someone now who is grinding, putting in the work. As an anchor on SNY New York's Sports Night. Welcome to the show, Chris Williamson. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Really, uh, really a pleasure to be here. Can't wait to talk to, to sports and everything going on in the world. Of course, man. You know, first of all, I gotta ask you, what has it been like to get back into a studio as opposed to doing your show at home and you know just being around, what, 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 you know, being being in a studio again, put on a fresh suit and talk to people again about live sports out down in New York in the New York area. You know, Avery, it's it's the first time that I that I came back in the studio to It was weird because I haven't been I haven't been in the the newsroom for so long. Mm-hmm. However, when I got back onto that, on that set, and the red lights came on, I just realized how much I missed, you know, being on camera, you know, in a professional set where the red light comes on and boom, it's showtime. As opposed to being at home, you're obviously going to bring a good, good personality and presence, but it's a much different feel and environment like you don't have to be as i guess sharp as you you are that you have to be uh you know when you're in a studio mm-hmm. so yeah it's been it's been it's been fun man no of course and seeing how the sports world has evolved and it, like, what were your thoughts originally when we were like we we went from the idea of in north america at least all sports being canceled to all sports being in a bubble to now we have the uh, WNBA, NBA, and NHL going to bubble cities, and you have the MLB, NFL saying, no, we're going to go and we're going to fly around. And for what's been like seeing that, you know, the leagues that have bubbled are handling so much better than the leagues who are going to try and attempt to play it out in Firecross America. Because from what I'm, from what we're seeing, you're just seeing right now, like in this kind of climate, the best case of sports right now is to centralize or at least limit your travel because we see right now in baseball, I'm not sure baseball is going to do, considering we already had the Marlins miss a bunch uh, a week of their play, and now we see so many teams right now in trouble for their season so far, Chris. Yeah, yeah. We the MLB and the MLBPA uh, have really failed, you know, their their mission and the public, the players really, because they didn't want to do a bubble. That was in a that was a proposition to both parties. However, I, I believe, if I have it correct, they didn't want to go down that route. And mm-hmm. as you mentioned, the bubbles have really shown to be a 
today, when people listen to this, the NBA, their latest uh, round of testing from uh, July 29th, no player tested positive. And I'll be honest, I'll be the first one to admit, I did not think we would be even get this far. Like, I thought there would be a spread just because of the unknowns of the virus and how easily it can be contracted that we would be in this position. But credit the NBA and the, the protocols that they have put into place. Credit the MOS as well because they're mm-hmm. in a bubble. Credit yes. the NHL for them being smart and reasonable as possible um, to get action underway and have entertainment for fans, Americans that are desperate for any type of content. No, of course, these leagues definitely deserve credit. I know there's two leagues I feel, I've said before on the show, that deserve even more credit, and that has been the WNBA and the MWSL, the National Women's Soccer League, because they were the first two leagues to really attempt a bubble and make it work, and you see now the credit's been given to um, hockey and basketball, but no, we give credit to women first, because they were the first two leagues to have a proper plan for a bubble, and they've pulled it off incredibly so far. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I apologize. That's bad on me, see? That's the way the... Uh, no, you're good, you're good. Society got me thinking. <laughs> I just think about the, the men's the women, you know, that's mm-hmm. the women's soccer league, as well as the WNBA. They've been great mm-hmm. in terms of their protocols and requirements for, for their players to undergo to make sure uh, don't have uh, a great deal of contact with one another. So there's a lot of social distancing when they're not they're not on the uh, on the field or on the court. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, women women lead the way. That's standard, you know what I'm saying? That's uh, that's always been the case, even if people don't want it. Admit it, women women lead the way uh, when it comes to a lot of things in in life. No, of course it's true. You know, sticking with that for a second, and being someone who's based in New York City, you've been around the New York sports market. What is it like to now see the uh, New York Liberty having? two of the future stars of this league in the form of Kia Nurse and Sabrina Ionescu. Even though Liberty have had their struggles throughout the year, I'm sure it was great to be down there and see how the future of women's basketball at the professional level is running through New York right now. Well, they've got a lot of young, young talent, so it's, it's going to be a, uh, you know, they're, they're getting beat up right now by a lot of the different uh, WNBA teams. Um, they have more you know, veteran players, like they're going up against Diana Taurasi, and those those women on the uh, on the Phoenix, and um, I think it's wonderful though to have that type of star power. Like Sabrina Ionescu specifically, she is real deal. Mm-hmm. I think she she dropped like thirty three seven and seven uh, in her second game. This went off, and she started on her way to dominating um, in the game where she got injured. And for Kia Nurse, yeah, she's a yeah, you got another uh, UConn. You yeah, right. So, you <laughs> always produces, you know, talented players, and it's beautiful because we're going to see so much more buy-in from the general public as opposed to just a, a certain uh, certain niche of fans where it's predominantly women and submit. But now we're going to see much more a much more diverse audience. Tune into the game because you have that star power with Ionescu, Eden Nurse, right? Then you have Megan Walker also, mm-hmm. who came from UConn last year. So I'm, I'm very excited to, to have Sabrina and and those other women in New York, where they can put a lot more positivity uh, into New York sports 
with the uh, the basketball side of things. No, of course. And even with the league, you're seeing you see a lot of NBA guys supporting them. You're seeing Kyrie Irving supporting women's yeah. players. You're seeing a lot of NBA guys wearing the orange hoodies, which has been started for a couple of years now. And having that backing the NBA guys is helped even more so. It shows that the rest of the world, hey, if a Kyrie can wear this, if Kevin Durant can wear a hoodie, so on and so forth, why are you not backing this? Why are you not supporting ball if these guys are supporting another quality league of ball, no matter men or women's? What we saw with the, the WNBA orange hoodie that I still need to purchase <laughs> is an indicator of how popular the league can be when you have the the marketing power and the, um, the brand encouragement to jump off the ground as far as getting more getting more audience uh, members getting more fans I think like I think the, the hoodie like sold out or something it was like the highest rated um, piece of apparel I don't know if it was in sports or what but it got so much attention that it showed, look, it isn't a matter about the product being less than the NBA. It's just the fact that they're not getting the right amount of exposure. They're not getting the right amount of the correct level of marketing by the WNBA and all these other uh, media corporations mm -hmm. for, for certain reasons, you know, for, ver for various reasons. Uh, it's like people care. Yeah. And when you see Kyrie, as you mentioned, Kyrie, you know, wearing the hoodie, Kyrie paying for helping out, uh, pay salary for individuals opting out due to the coronavirus and other matters. It's like, yo, if, if they're doing it, I need to jump on this train. I, I should get behind Brady, Diane Taurasi, Candace Parker, mm -hmm. um, Sylvia Faust. Mode Augustus, Super, you know, the, the names are endless. Um, it's really wonderful because it's about, it's about time. It's, now, it's way past time um, that they should have been getting this type of attention. Absolutely. And you know, in basketball, we've been seeing over the, be it in both leagues, the NBA speaking up and the NBA speaking up. And you're seeing more and more athletes coming around and using their voice. And how important is it for these athletes to not be passive? on uh, racism, not be passive on anti-black racism for uh, both of us being black men in sports media. I mean, it, I mean, the time must come for people to not just, you know, bat an eye and say, oh, that doesn't affect me. You're seeing athletes in basketball especially speaking out. And, for example, of course, Greg Popovich has been using um, quotes to the media. Like, I mean, it, it's mad to see basketball guys over the past few years, basketball women speaking out and saying, you know, enough's enough. we got to use our platform to try and create some form of change around the world. What we're... What's happening, Avery, is a a movement in this current age mm -hmm. that we've never seen before. Yes. And what's beautiful to watch is the understanding of the players, specifically LeBron, says, you know, when we've had, um, you know, racial um, injustice happen, there's been outrage, and then we didn't keep our foot in the gas. We, we, we took our foot off the gas, and I thought it was a really eloquent point that he made, because that's what's happened. Trayvon Martin died. We see the protests. We see the demonstrations yeah. by the heat. Everybody. Eric Garner, I can't breathe. Leno Castillo, all these things with the Minnesota Lynx, 
and then it goes away. But now people are like, yo, we need to be in front of this thing full force, 110% passionate, and make it known each and every day that just because we're playing basketball, just because we're playing another sport, does not mean our attention isn't on the injustices and the inequities that are prevalent throughout society, especially when it comes to black Americans. We've seen so many NBA players shout out justice for Breonna Taylor. That's all they were going to talk about after media sessions or during media sessions. Uh, we see what's going on with WNBA as far as Kelly Loeffler, who's the co-owner of the Atlanta Dream, and how they all wearing shirts supporting her opponent. Okay? That's right. It's, it's really refreshing. I just hope that the, the intensity stays. I hope the intensity stays. And it, yeah. No, of course. I, I totally agree with that, Chris. And Chris, I want for a second here. You know, you, I mentioned your time at SNY, but I ask you, as someone, I gotta ask you, someone who's in the industry, you're on TV, what was the journey like for you? I know you also played college football at Syracuse. So what was that journey like going from high school to college? And what really wanted you, really made you want to get into, in the, into the media side of the world while you're playing football at Syracuse? So what made me want, all right, the story about what I, uh, how I came into the media, what made me, want to be in the media field mm. is goes back to my sophomore year of high school. And I got cut from my JV team my sophomore year for basketball. And I grew up thinking I was going to be Michael Jordan, <laughs> you know, 6'6", six, six, size 13, shoe, all that. Like we all Make do. to the NBA. That's <laughs> all I focused on, right? But when I got cut, it became very obvious that basketball wasn't going to be in my future. So I said, I was clearly trying to tell you something, Chris. So if you can't play basketball professionally or even in high school, you might as well stay close to the game. And what better way to do that than talking about it, writing about it, and things of that nature. So that's how I got into, that's how I got interested in the broadcaster the world. And before I got to ask why, I worked as a part-time feature reporter Photog for WSA 9. So I did a lot of human interest stories um, revolving around sports. And then before that, I worked in Wausau, Wisconsin, which is like three hours away from Milwaukee. Wow. And I was the weekend sports anchor. Yeah, weekend sports anchor slash reporter for two years there. And that's where I really got my my start in the, in the TV industry and, and able to, you know, Spread my wings a little bit. Yeah, the college football. You know that that was a, that was a dream of mine after I decided to play football in junior high school. Mm-hmm. Like you know, I want I want to play D one. That that was a goal of mine, and I worked my butt off uh, for years to make that happen. And and then I got on the team, so I didn't envision anything beyond that. I did have, I just had the vision. I wanted to play D one college ball, and and go from there. But I knew, I always knew that broadcast was going to be, you know, what I fell back on. Wow, that is awesome. And you know, I mentioned with Edison Wiley, take me back to your, your first day, Chris, because no matter what side of the border you're on, be it Canada, America, being in a market like New York, that is a pinnacle to be on a TV network in New York city. So give me, take me back to that first day of reaching like, wow, I'm going to be on 
TV, talking sports in the New York City area. The first day that I went on air, of course, you're going to have nerves. That's that's part of the the experience in your first day in anything, uh, no matter how polished you are. But I remember thinking back to myself, yo, at the time when I did my first show, I was 26. I remember thinking, I never, I never envisioned this happening in my career, working at a major sports network in the number one market in America at 26, doing what I love to do. So it was very humbling uh, for me to have that opportunity. And on the other and also, I knew that I was meant to do this. Right? When the nerve set in, you're like, dang, did they make the right selection? Was I supposed to be? It's like, no, they, they hired you for a reason. So you use everything that you've done in your past, and now you bring that here and just work and grow. Um, to show them why you are unique and and great at what you do, so I went out there and, and did my thing, and I felt I felt I felt great. Like it gave me an adrenaline rush, to be honest. That is awesome, and of course, guys, you know what does it what does it truly meant to you, Chris, to just be a black man on TV and sports media in America, but to be a prominent black face in New York media. For me, I take it as a a badge of honor, being one of the black people in the sports media world landscape in New York specifically, because there, as you alluded to, there are not that many in general, and there are a lot more on camera than there are behind the scenes, and that's that's a problem. Like it needs to be all over the place: editors, producers, writers, reporters, anchors, um, cameramen, camera women, all of that. That needs to be much more well represented by black people and people of color. And while it's a badge of honor to be one of those black faces in New York City expressing myself in an authentic manner, Mm -hmm. I find it sad because I'm the only black man, full-time black on-air talent at S&Y. So I'm not working with a diverse group of people. And I can always adapt because that's what we've been trained to do as black people. We adapt and we are able to be a chameleon, if you will, for making ourselves the most, um, most accessible and the most, um, yeah, most accessible when it comes to working with different types of people or specifically white people in this instance. It's like, oh, I wish I had some, some black people that I could, you know, just sit back and chop it up with and, you know, be my authentic self when I'm off camera. That's not the case. Like, oh, I would love to have some more people in this room who look like me. So there's two sides to it. One, it's a great honor to meet one of the few black but also it's kind of de- depressing and really embarrassing for the um, the industry as a whole. Like, the majority of the athletes that we cover mm-hmm. are black. Why is that not reflected in the media landscape where I think over 80% of people in the media industry are, are white, right? Right. That should not be the case. 
That should not be the case whatsoever. I saw the other day somebody had a panel, and the title of the panel was diversity in uh, something about diversity. You know who was on the panel, Avery? It was like four white women. The only diversity <laughs> in that uh, flyer that they posted was the hairstyle. Like they had different hairstyles. Other than that, all white. All white. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't even know why they agreed to do it. Uh, I know it's a long-winded answer, but yeah, that's that's how I feel when it comes to being one of the the black faces in in the New York sports world, the um, media sports world. That is uh, it's two sides to it. No, but you know what? You made some you made some really good points that I can't really I can relate to you with that. As someone who covers who's covered the CFL for various outlets, and I've walked in different locker rooms in the Canadian Football League, and I can count Chris on maybe a couple of times where you've had more than two black reporters and you're going into a locker room which is filled with dozens of dozens of black american and black canadian dudes and you're the only black guy that they can really talk to it just feels like you look at them you think like this is not right this has to improve some way somehow no it it does and and you bring up a great point about improving the the diversity and the representation in this industry right now this is the best time for that to happen because everybody doesn't want to be seen as racist or non, non-racist. You know, it's not okay now just to be non-racist. You have to be anti-racist. People are changing so many things about their practices uh, so that they, they, don't, they are not on the, the wrong side of history. They don't want to be seen as outcasting their... They're minority, minority employees. And there's still a long way to go because it's like, this is a, this would be the most, um, this would be the time to hire a lot of people of color, minorities, black people. Mm-hmm. On the other side of that, we're in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah. And <laughs> the resources are not overflowing like they used to be. So the, The urgency to hire people isn't as high as it would be if we weren't dealing with a pandemic. Like if we if we didn't have the pandemic and people and the companies had you know their their cash flow um, at a high rate and in very good standing, they weren't they didn't have to be so strict with their finances. We've seen a lot more people getting hired, a lot more black people and and people of color getting hired, you know, for jobs that they're more than qualified for, more than qualified for. So I hope we have a conversation next year or two years down the road. I hope we won't be having the same conversation in terms of we're still looking at the same number of black people that are in the media, uh, which is, you know, severely low. No, I absolutely I hope same Chris. Hopefully, we don't have the same conversation next year or in a few years. Before I let you go, I do want to ask you. I know with baseball, we've been having it's been baseball's had such a strange, strange year. Of course, with the the pandemic and just everything happening. So I want to ask you: Do do the Yankees and the Mets do they play sixty games or do they both end the year playing fifty four or fifty five? Because I'm really skeptical. We get a, a many teams playing the full sixty games in MLB this year, Chris. Honestly, I don't even. I I think 
the the standard, the message that Rob has set forth, the MLB commissioner, uh, for those people who are listening who don't know who the MLB commissioner is, it highlights one that prioritizes money over the lives. Capitalism over health and safety. They, they put out that statement how, look, if, if this isn't better, we may have to shut down the season, mm-hmm. um, is what Manfred said. The union representative, uh, Tony Clark, I believe his name is. And, okay, and then the same, and then like a couple of days later, like these are concerning um, issues that outbreaks with the Marlins and the Cardinals. I'm not a quitter. And we're going to do what we need to do to make this season happy. Basically, that was the, the stance. And I'll be like, okay, so what, what in the world will it take for them to stop playing? Like, they already have to make up so many games with the, what happened, with what happened, um, for the Marlins and, and the Cardinals. So I don't think, I don't think there will be 60 games played by all teams. I think it'll be more likely 50, 55, if that. Right. Right. I, I just, I, me, I believe we are going to have to see somebody, unfortunately, lose their life, whether it's a player, manager, or a player, manager's um, family member, lose their life in order for baseball to shut it down. And even then, I'm like, let put a patch on all the jerseys, on all the uniforms, like he would, he he would want us to play. Yeah, he would want us to continue on. So, uh, yeah, I'm. I don't think this game will be played. Um, to put it put it in short. Right, you know, yeah, it's gonna be tough to see. If, yeah, I don't know if we do get to there, but there, you know, they're they're at least gonna try. And Chris. Thank you for doing the podcast. I appreciate you coming on. Keep pulling it down for us on SNY. And hopefully next year, hopefully next year with things improve somewhat and the border opens up again. Hopefully we can do it again with me sitting down with you in New York. Yes, sir, man. It'll be a pleasure. <laughs> Love talking to you. Yes, sir. Awesome. Thanks, Chris.